All right, we're going to be in Mark chapter 16, which is one of the Gospels. Uh, if you're, well, everybody here, I mean, to be here, you, you know Jesus. <laughs> or you wish somebody knows Jesus. And so if you're here right now, if you're here watching this small little church in Jacksonville, Florida, then we, we're going to just say, we're going to assume that you know Jesus. Um, and I see you up here. Uh, mom, I see your mom's comments, and so I'm saying, hey, hey mom. Uh, and so we are uh, aware of and familiar with the Gospels. Okay, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I want to go to Mark, uh, because Mark has some special significance, not only for uh, us historically, as it's an account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, but for me, there's a passage in here that's just been ringing in my heart and my head uh, since um, the last time I preached, when I knew that the next time I preached was going to be Easter. And so, um, again, I want to thank my brothers in ministry, Pastor George Folks. Pastor Jonathan Crum, Minister John York, whose church is launching in Atlanta today, Story Church. I want to thank every single one of them for providing a word for us and giving me a much-needed break, uh, time to emotionally process um, and physically rest. And so let's go ahead and jump into this. I'm reading from the New International Version, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Here we go. Uh, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, uh, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus's body. Uh, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. <clears throat> Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. <clears throat> Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Say nothing to anyone because they were afraid. I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to put a pin in that right there, okay? Uh, and the message title for today is Just Keep Running. Say that with me. Say just, just keep, keep running. running. Say it one more time. Say just, just keep, keep running. running. <clears throat> All right, so let's bow our heads in prayer. I'm pointing people to the other door. Other door, that way, that way. If somebody tell them that door doesn't open, so it's locked. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you and praise you for this moment. I want to thank you for this preaching moment, this gathering moment, this opportunity that we have to come together uh, and rest in you, hearing your word, receiving what it is you have for us. Lord, I pray right now for supernatural anointing, not only on me as the speaker, but on every single person here in person, every single person who is online, every single person who is listening, I pray for a special anointing. Holy Spirit, be with us in this moment. Lord, we're not playing any games here. We are serious about you to be here, to come into this small little church, this unfinished building, to be together in this moment. We're serious about you, Lord. And so in this moment, Lord, show up, show out, break chains, Lord, change our perspective, revitalize our lives. We'll give you glory, honor and praise in Jesus name. 
Amen. All right, come on in. Have a seat. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come on in. There are seats in the front row on each side. <laughs> All right. So, so glad, again, so glad for everybody to be here. I'm going to jump right into the message. Uh, one of the things that really stuck out to me when I was reading this text was the idea that um, the people that were the first ones to know that Jesus is alive were not excited and were not celebrating. They were trembling and bewildered. The first witnesses to the resurrection. The first, excuse me, the first witnesses to the evidence of the resurrection, the first ones that saw an empty tomb, they were trembling and bewildered. They were trembling and bewildered, okay? Uh, they didn't respond with rejoicing. What they actually did was they ran away. Okay, they ran away. They see an angel. Now, mind you, these are the same people. Just because these women weren't named all the time with the 12 disciples, it doesn't mean they weren't there. You ever been hanging out with friends, and when you're telling the story of when you were hanging out, you don't name everybody. You name like the, the three people that you hung out with the most, like those people. They the ones that make it into the story. But there was like 25 people there. You're not gonna go through the story and tell and name every single person. Now, we did good, not we, but they did good. The authors of the biblical account, they did good because they included women by name in the first century AD where that was not happening, they were not respected. In fact, it was controversial that he was even ministering to and having dialogue with them. And so let's understand context historically and, and when you're talking about empowerment, that the first witnesses, the first people that had the supernatural encounter, the first ones that knew that Christ was risen and the tomb was empty were three women. Okay? And so... These women responded in a way that, I don't know, uh, many of us may have. I mean, some of y'all, y'all are bold and y'all can handle any situation anytime, right? You never are shook, right? Or at least that's what you like people to believe. If you, if you get down to the truth, though, we're all rattled by something. And these women, what I was talking about earlier, these women had been with Jesus and seen supernatural acts. They had seen him feed 5,000. They had seen him raise someone else from the dead, Lazarus. They had seen him heal people of their diseases, skin diseases, blindness, etc. And he had literally told them, he talked to them, taught them that he was going to have to go. And three days later, he was coming back. But in the midst of what happened on that Friday, we call good because of the consequences for us. But I guarantee you, it didn't feel good for the Jesus that had to go through it. That that was still what was fresh on their mind on Saturday. OK, and so I want to I really want to bring you down for a second, because I want you to understand the mindset of feeling lost. No, you know good news, but you feel lost. You know good news, but you feel lost. This is an, an extremely intimate concept to me right now. Okay? On March 26th, I believe, 27th, whatever the day was, I was at the funeral for my mother, giving the eulogy, understanding 
good news, but also dealing with the true pain. Understanding that she's no longer with us, but to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. She's with him. Amen. Amen. And so there was, there was, there is a tension that I feel right now that I can only imagine. You heard the teaching. You were with Jesus. You saw him do the work. You know he's got the power. You don't quite understand why he didn't use the power to save himself. But at your best, you're at least going to continue to honor who he was. You're, 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 you're confused. The best we can do is be confused. Uh, and so what happened was they went. Remember, this happened on a Friday. Sabbath for them started on Friday. So they couldn't go and anoint the body with spices. They couldn't go take care of the body and, and do their normal rituals that they would have done according to Jewish custom. Um, to honor their dead loved one. But what they did do is um, as soon as Sabbath ended, which was Saturday night, they then went out and bought the spices. They had their plan. They had their plan to honor him the best way that they can. They don't understand. They're still disappointed. They're in despair. You see it's the women. The men ain't even there. They're completely despondent. Okay? Completely deflated. And they get there. <clears throat> and there, what was their one concern? They weren't concerned about all the guards. They weren't concerned about all the guards that were going to be there. They were concerned about who was going to roll the stone away. Who's going to roll the stone away so we can get to our loved one and put and anoint him with these spices? Who's going to do that work for us? Because it's a heavy stone. They get there. The problem that they were concerned about is already resolved and introduces them to another problem that they weren't prepared for. The, the, the stone is rolled away, but the body's not there. Jesus isn't there. Now, understand this is traumatic. They've lost a loved one that they believe could do anything, but he didn't save himself. And so they go there to see his body, to treat his body. And his body's not there, but somebody else is there. This is y'all's right. So somebody else is here um, saying, hey, he's risen. He's not there. He's not here. Jesus stands there. He's risen. He's saying good news, right? It's the best news of all mankind. It's the best news in all of history. But it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. You ever been overwhelmed by good news? It's like you can't even really process it. It's so wonderful. Now, this is, is again, they got the emotions of the death that they're still wrestling with, and they hear this good news. They've been taught about this good news, but they can't handle it or process it in the moment. And so what happens is they are, when the supernatural thing happens, they're bewildered, they, they run off, and what happened is God sent them exact instructions, and exact instructions, but they ran away in fear. They ran away in fear. God told them what to do. God told them what they were supposed to do, but they ran. Anybody been there? God told you what to do and you ran? This is an important part of the Easter story, y'all. A lot of times we just want to go straight to, he got up and shout and dance. That's where we want to start the conversation. But that's not where the day started. <clears throat> so going through the circumstance, the situation that I'm going through, having to answer <clears throat> questions about death and Jesus every day because I have an inquisitive five-year-old, like I, I'm still there. I'm still in understanding and learning and seeking and seeing, exploring and trying to explain these concepts of good news. And so 
I want us to understand that the despair that was there Saturday, the hopelessness that was there Saturday, and the fear that came on Sunday is an important part of the faith story. In fact, it's an important part of our faith story because we can all relate to their response. In fact, anyone who's had an experience with God has received instructions from God. Okay? I want to be very clear about that. I want to make sure we all understand that if you've had an experience with God, you've received instructions from God. All right? I want to say it one more time because I want to make sure even the young people get this because you in classrooms, you got teachers, you receive instructions. You have, it, you have an experience with a teacher, you receive instructions from that teacher. Right? I was a substitute teacher in a middle school on Monday, last week. Uh, sixth graders, math. I gave them very, I wrote my four simple instructions on the board. If you're going to have an encounter with me because I'm an authority figure, there are expectations. It's like, you know, I was like, stay off your phone, stay off your headphones, work on your work, and be respectful. It's like, those are the four. If y'all handle those, we good. But you don't have an interaction with me as an authority figure and there not be expectations attached, there not be instructions attached. And for us, we have a benefit because we have the written word of God. And so when you had an experience with the Lord and you got saved and you claim that you know Jesus for yourself, the instructions were not something that you had to go and find. You simply had to go here. What does the Bible say about blank? Literally, you can Google that now. You can say, what does the Bible say about dating? And boom, it's right there. What does the Bible say about marriage? And boom, you got all these resources. You can find it. What does the Bible say about uh, cheating? What does the Bible say about taxes? What does the Bible say about money? What does the Bible say about blah, blah, blah? You do not have an encounter with the Lord and not receive instructions from him. Okay? And so you look at what happened with these women. They had an encounter with an angel from the Lord, and he gave them direct instructions. He told them exactly what they were supposed to do. He told them what the situation was, and then he told them what to do. Simple as that. This is where the situation is. This is what I want you to do. Okay? And so we've been there, but here's the second part of where we also have been. Because anyone who's had an experience with God has received instructions from God. But also what happens is anyone who has received instructions from God has experienced running away from God. Can I get an amen? amen? Can I get some truth tellers out here where you know that God has told you to do something or you know that God has an expectation and you intentionally or accidentally fall short of the expectation? In fact, maybe you didn't even fall short. Maybe you literally ran away from the expectation. Um, if you don't think that's you, then basically what you're telling me is you haven't explored your own faith. That's all that means. Because if you've explored your faith, then you know. You know that you have rebelled against authority. You don't even have to go to the Lord. The Lord gives your parents authority over you, children. And so when you, when you have an attitude about something your parents tell you to do, then you have experienced the rebellion against the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, say that again. So Hallelujah. <laughs> Listen, it's real. Because what's that old phrase? Delay is disobedience. Is that is that what it is? If you don't do what I said the moment I said it, I'm upset. Because you're supposed to know who I am, what I'm about, why I'm telling you. And if you take more than a breath to do what I told you to do, there's a problem. Help him, Lord. Yes. So, <laughs> and so, and so, I'm sorry. 
he wanted to sit in the front row. I don't know why. But uh, <laughs> when it comes down to that kind of discipline, like the Lord expects the same. He's probably got a whole lot more grace than I do, but he expects the same. And so every single one of us, every single one of y'all saved, sanctified, believe God, love God, believe you going to heaven, people. Every single one of y'all got experience knowing what he's telling you, knowing what he's teaching you, and then rebelling against that very thing. That's right. And we got examples of it straight from the word. Um, and so when we talk about running and this, this message title, just keep running, just keep running. Um, I have a confession to make. I'll talk about y'all and talk about him. Like, I've been a runner all my life. I've been a runner all my life. Okay? I I, I can assume about some of y'all. I got experience with some of y'all. Sometimes the Lord be speaking to me about some of y'all. But if we want to be honest, I don't know nobody's sin count better than mine. And I'm not even fully aware of that. Thank God for his grace. So, I've been a runner all my life. I could be talking about track. We got athletes in here. Who's a runner? My wife was a sprinter. I was a distance runner. So I ran forever. <laughs> I ran cross country. I ran the 800, the 1600, and the 3200. And sometimes the 4 by 8 So I was the distance runner. So I was a runner in high school. That's the only time I ran track. I mean, you run if you play a sport. I know we got uh, Ronnie played football. He know he run, he, he's not running as an event, but he ran. Did you run track, Ronnie? Uh, he just he just did football. Um, I you know I played a few different sports. I played basketball. You had to run for basketball. You had to run up and down. Even tennis, tennis you have to run. You're running around the whole like if there's six courts, you're running around all six. Then you you're doing your stretches. Then you get into actually playing the game and practicing for your game. You're running, okay. And so as an athlete, I got experience running, okay. I can't run like that no more. My knees don't necessarily agree with it, but I got the experience. So I could be talking about my athletics. Athletes, but I could also be talking about fear. Anybody ran from somebody before? Now I'm gonna refer back to to Ronnie because he's like the biggest dude in here, and he's almost the biggest dude in many rooms he goes to unless he's going around his peers. Um, but he, from my recollection, when he's in high school, he ain't never had to run from nobody. Okay, I was a whole lot smaller than him. I had to run from people. Okay, when I was in high school, my first year in high school was like five foot two. In fact, I didn't hit a growth spurt until the summer between my 10th grade and 11th grade year. So middle school, I had friends that were like really bully friends because they like to beat me up in public, you know, try out wrestling moves on me and stuff like that in front of everybody. And so I had to run. I had to have what's called evasive speed. And so I'm walking through the hall and they're like, there you go. And, like, ah! and I'm running, jumping around people around teachers trying to get into the classroom sitting down because if I'm in the classroom sitting down, they can't get me. Can't get me teacher right there. What you gonna do? Ah, I'm safe for another day. That was my life for a little while until I became scarred and began bullying them back, <laughs> my, my close friends. Um, and so I I could be taught running from bullies. You could also be taught running from your parents. You ever ran from a whooping? See, we got these these gentle parents that I'm trying to be. I am trying, but it don't always work. And so I, because I'm, I'm so much more calm than the people that raised me. Because when I was raised, if you thought the word no, you was getting a whooping. Like they could see it in your brain. They could see it. And the belt was coming. It was coming. You could run, you could close the door, but he had broken all between him and my siblings that had temper issues. All the door handles had been broken, so you could close the door, but there's nothing to latch it. 
And so you can just push it open. So you gotta hold the door. No, no, the whooping is coming. So you can be running from whoopings. Okay? So I've been running all my life and I can joke about it now because you know, either you're laughing at your pain or you're recovering them somewhere in between. Uh, but if I really want to get down to, to it, I'm talking about running spiritually. Right? I'm talking about my faith. I'm talking about I've been a runner. There have been challenges that God has given me where he wanted me to do something and I haven't wanted to do it and I ran away from it. There are things where I was clear that this was my responsibility or that was my person to reach and that was my obligation or that was my whatever. Uh, that's the person even just to pray for and you're like, I don't want to pray for them. you running from what God wants you to do. You are trying to escape your responsibility. You're trying and we all do it. I've done it. I've done it many times. I could tell you, I'm going to give you some examples, but I just want to ask, like, how many times have you wanted to honor God and then ran from him when on the path to honoring God didn't look like what you thought it was? Okay? Like, we're going to anoint his body with these spices. All we need is somebody to roll the stone away. They're going to honor Jesus in a very literal sense. They're going to honor Jesus. But they get there and it doesn't look like what they thought it was going to look like. And they hear a word that is great news, but it's scary because it, it ha it's forcing them to expand their mind. Even if you look at Lazarus, Lazarus didn't die while the disciples were present and watching. Jesus was publicly crucified. They saw him take his last breath. They saw him take him. They saw them take him down from the cross. Okay, they saw this. And so I'm getting this news. I'm there. And it's hard for me to believe I was going to honor him. But now they're telling me that honoring him looks different than what I thought it was going to look like. And my response is, I don't know what to do. I'm about to run. So how many times? How many times have we? And I want you to be about yourself because I don't care how old you are if you know who God is you know he wants a relationship with you if you know who God is then you know he wants to do something through you if you know who God is and you know he wants to walk with you every day of your life if you know who God is at all then you know that he wants to be with you and guide you in a specific direction okay and so how many times have we reacted with fear and doubt when God was clear what his desires were for us He's clear about what the plan for marriage is. Jesus, he's clear. How many of us actively ran from the plan that God had for marriage that has been outlined in the Old and New Testament? Um, I, I see, as I, I'm reading through the Bible again, I see the Old Testament, New Testament. I see that there's like three groups of people that Jesus, not Jesus, but the whole word are, are, is, is kind of clear that he wants the people of God to take care of. That'd be the poor, that'd be the foreigner, that'd be the priest. Okay? And so if I look in the Old Testament, there's provisions for all of them. The, 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 the people of God taking care of all of them. If I look in the New Testament, there's provisions for the people of God taking care of all of them. And, and do we do that? Do we have a consciousness of care for people outside of our own circle? Do we have a, per, a, a, a consciousness of care for people that don't look like, speak like, etc.? Do we have sympathy or empathy for immigrants that aren't in, that don't look like us? Because we see that's a big issue, right? There's a whole outpouring of sympathy for one group of people when they have to become refugees 
And there's a whole different response when another group of people that look a different way have to become refugees. Right? I mean, I'm not going to go too deeply into it, but right now is a great example of how that's happening. But there's this, there's a, a teaching of how we are supposed to seek justice and love and honor all of these people. And then, of course, the, the Levites, the priests, they had no inheritance. They had no land. And so all of their provision came from the people. And then, of course, Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 talks about how, you know, how it is his right as someone that pours spiritually into the people for them to pour physically into him. Right. And, and that's reiterated throughout. So these, these three groups of people that are, we're called to just as the body careful. OK. And it goes beyond that because you have an individual call in your life. Jesus, you're special. First of all, you're special because you decided to come to a church like this when you could have gone to some church that has a whole stage production. You could have gone somewhere where the lights and the fog and, you know, the rock band and everything is present right there. And you came knowing that this place was going to look booty. And y'all decided to show up anyway. Hallelujah. Y'all either know Jesus or you just love us a whole lot. I hope it's both. <laughs> but the point be. The point being um, that there are these times where being obedient and walking with God looks a whole lot different than what we may have expected or what we may be comfortable with. And it's important to acknowledge that. So let me keep moving. Um, when I talk about how many times uh, I reacted with fear and doubt to what God was clear about his desires for us. And, you know, I can start with the word and you can go for those of you that believe in the charismatic. I fully believe in the charismatic. What does that mean? I believe that prophecy is real. I believe that the gifts of the spirit are real. I believe that somebody can have information about you from the Lord that they can share for it with you. It's happened to me several times. It's happened through me several times. And so there's that there's that that word that comes from somebody that the Lord sends, and then there's the word that has been accumulated and collected here, and then there's all these words and counsel from the church fathers of old that has been passed down, and the mothers of old has been passed down, so that we have access. We have all this access so that we know what God wants us to do and how he wants to, us to handle whatever. And so, I can tell for me, I'm going to throw out a few of my examples of me thinking that it should be one way, and then you know, it not be that way. I was trying to grow in my faith so I was doing all the stuff. I was like, uh, you know, when I was younger, uh, in my 20s, right? Um, I had just came to faith. My, all my sisters got baptized when they were teenagers. I wasn't even trying to go to church when I was a teenager. I found out, like, you know how your memory gets foggy? Does it, like, your memory gets foggy about stuff that, um, I don't know, just stuff. Like, my high school years are foggy. Like, I'm, I came in contact with a lot of people I knew back in the day when I was, uh, at home from my mom's funeral and when she first got, uh, when she first fell ill. Um, and my boys are like coming to see me and talk, hey, you remember when blah, 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 blah. Like, no, I, that sounds like a really cool story. I wish I remember my place. Like, I wish I remember that, you know. Gosh, like, I'm visually picturing it now, but I, I don't have an actual memory of it. And so, um, I have these memories of when I was young in the faith, when I got saved at 22, because I didn't get saved as a teenager, I didn't get baptized as a teenager. I got, I got, well, I got scared saved. You know, there's a difference between scared saved and love saved. Okay, um, scared saved comes from you're gonna burn in hell if you don't raise your hand right now, and if you don't say this sinner's prayer, 
that scared saved. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but it can't take you where you need to be. If you function by fear, you're going to have a lackluster faith life your entire life. Um, but the, I got love saved. Like I got saved because I recognized God's love when I was 22. Um, and a word of prophecy and word of knowledge was spoken over my life. Uh, and so I was spending that next year cutting off people, ladies, cutting off some of my boys, uh, trying to stay focused. Uh, and, and I got to a point where I realized that, you know, doing all this physical stuff was part of it. But I was nickel and diamond God. And so I thought that growing in faith was going to look like, you know, just do some good works. But it all, you know, and make yourself feel good because you help people. But it actually turned out that there was a financial component to it. And I was holding back on that from the Lord. And so when I decided to stop running from the financial part and put my finances um, in God's hands, a, a whole level of my life unlocked. Like I got out of debt giving more. Okay. I'm talking about like tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt I got out of once I started giving more. Okay, uh, It didn't look like I thought it was, but it, but it, it changed. I was trying to grow in my ministry uh, when, I, when I first went to my pastor in Chapel Hill and said, hey, I believe I am called to go back to my college students. I was 22, 23 years old. I was like, I'm going straight. I, I want to go straight back to where I came from. I want to get these college people saved. And my pastor said, we need help with the little kids. Like, I thought it was going to look like going straight back to where, you know, where and being an evangelist in the, and having a mission field there. And I was going to reach them because they knew me and they trusted me. And I was going to be able to have a great harvest from college students. Nine to 12. I was ministering to nine to 12 year olds because that's what it really looked like. I didn't like it at first. I was like, but that, that's what I believe. But I was under leadership and I was submitted. And so that's what I did. It didn't look like I thought it should look, but it still grew me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Trying to plant a church. It was 2008 when the Lord first gave me the thought to start a church on my own. I wasn't married to her. <clears throat> Excuse me. I wasn't um, in this city. In fact, I thought it was going to be Durham, North Carolina. I was certain it was going to be Durham, North Carolina. Again, I got the connections. I'm known in the community. They respect me. My pull, my influence is here. Five years later, it's, it's Duval. It's Jacksonville, Florida. The guy is sending me to with no network, just my wife. Uh, it, it didn't look like what I thought it was supposed to look like. Uh, you know, trying to establish this space. Jesus. I, I knew. I sought counsel. I prayed. I sought more counsel. I prayed and, and, and walked into this building here, this agreement with this building, Believing that God was going to have to do this quick work. It was supposed to be done in three months. It was supposed to be in here. And woo, Jesus. But here we are. We haven't met in over two years. And this building still isn't finished. But it's not about what I thought it was supposed to be. It's about what it really is. And so what they thought it was, was they were going to minister to a dead body in traditional love. And what it was, was they, they were given a commission and understanding that Christ is risen and your job now is to be the first evangelist that spread the good news that Christ is risen directly to the disciples and let them know. So when I look at what they did and I look at what I did, I, I think my conclusion is this. I'm, I'm coming to a close. Is that it's OK to run. Just keep running. 
Some people stop running. Some people find that some people get uncomfortable with what God is calling them to do. Some people get comfortable, uncomfortable with submitting their whole life to him. Some people get uncomfortable when the, the tables turn and it doesn't look like what they thought it was going to look like. The job that you thought was going to be a blessing is actually a real struggle. Some people struggle when you thought the relationship was the one and it, it doesn't seem like it. You, you think it, you know, it's a problem, but you don't want to let it. There, there are issues where we are running our race with the Lord. We get entangled in something that is not God's will or we hear God's will. And we don't want to move in that way, and so we just stop running. You stop running. You stop going to church. You stop investing in the kingdom. You stop being subject to you know any kind of leadership. You stop uh, fellowshipping with other believers, and you just stop doing you. You just stop running. You stop running the race. Okay? I'm not here to tell you that you should never be scared, because when Jesus says don't be afraid. He's not talking about momentary fear. He's talking about don't live in a state of fear. Don't let it be something that can make decisions for you. Okay. Don't let it be something um, <clears throat> that is able to overtake your reasoning because we're supposed to be faith beings, not fear beings. Faith is real, will always be present. Um, and for me, it's one of the things I won't go. I won't go there, but just I, I just understand it's real. It's real, okay? And so, <clears throat> I will go there. What, uh, so, <clears throat> again, I, I, I have to keep coming back here because it's so recent for me. Uh, my mother's death. I know that this life has to end. You know that this life has to end. But it's been a long time since I lost somebody close. And it's been a long time since I lost somebody that it wasn't part of the, the plan. Like, you lose, uh, you know, you lose your gang-banging friend... They was in the streets. You knew it was coming for them. You lose somebody who's been diseased, like my father was getting sicker and sicker for four years. From 1997, when he had his first congestive heart failure and refused to change any of the habits that led to the congestive heart failure, we knew it was coming. He was in hospice. Like, we had time to prepare our hearts, right? So it wasn't as hard. My mother had an accident. That was it. That was it. And so I had to face death, mortality, the end, going on without her, not being able to, you know, have my children grow up with the same person that raised me, not being able to grasp fully, but at the same time understanding that this is truly temporary. This is truly temporary. This life is going to end. And when it does, it's not going to be based on when I want it to do. I, it's not, it's not going to, it don't care about my schedule. Okay? It doesn't care. My plan, 120, like Moses. Full of strength, and I just take a breath like, that's my plan. Like Moses, they said he was full of strength at 120. He went up to the mountain and he rested with his father. That's it. That was Moses. That's my plan. But that's not, I can't, I can't control that plan. And so since I can't control that, <clears throat> what I can control, and I can't control not having access to my mom. I can't control 
the way it impacts my family. But what I can control is how I allow it to affect my race. <clears throat> okay? When I say that these women were running, they weren't physically running. They were walking a path of faith. They were walking a path of faith, tradition. They were honoring the Lord Jesus the best way they knew how to go honor his body, to go put spice on his body. They were then commissioned to go do something for the risen Christ. And they ran. And sometimes I, when I'm preaching Mark 16, I, wanna, I just want to stop at verse 8 because verses 9 through 20 are a little bit debated. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take us to Matthew chapter 28, which is not debated. Um, real quick and, and just tell you, like these women started in faith. They walked with Jesus. They believed who he was. They believed who he was. Um, and if you go to verse uh, five in Matthew 28, it says here, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I, I have told you. That part we already kind of got. But here's where it picks up. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. The tension. Afraid, yet filled with joy. And ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Can I submit to you just this thought? They were running their race. They started their race that day trying to honor God. And even though they got scared, they kept running. And where did their running take them? It literally took them to the feet of Jesus. They're running away in fear, having given up, God knowing your faults, God knowing your fears, God knowing your <clears throat> issues, God knowing them, didn't chastise them, didn't condemn them, showed up for them, stood in front of them, ministered directly to the issue. They're afraid. He says, do not be afraid. And they go into worshiping the king. Well, that wouldn't have happened if they just stopped running. If when they saw this and they heard this, they're like, this is too much. This is crazy. And they just stopped. They would have never had the encounter with Christ. But what they did was they ran back toward where they came from. And before they could get where they came from, Jesus met them <clears throat> to confirm their assignment. And so what I want to say to us, like, it's okay to feel uncomfortable with the process. I'm uncomfortable. I want to be honest with y'all. Like, this is not what I want our church to look like. This last two years hasn't gone the way I wanted them to go. I've had some great victories. And God has done some amazing things. But my plan, he has not honored. <laughs> Anybody else had a testimony? Like, great things have happened, but your plans... Like if 2020, if you could go back and look at 2020 and talk about what you thought 2022 was going to look like, this ain't it. Where your life is right now, it's not it. There's something there 
that's wonderful that you was was unexpected and there's something there that was not so great that was unexpected. I want you to understand it's uncomfortable. It's okay to be uncomfortable with the process. I just want you to keep running. God is our starting place and our finishing place. He's our starting line. He's our finish line. And not only is he our starting line, not only is he our finish line, he also runs with us, knows when to intervene at every moment of the race. I can't tell you how many times, I'm closing right now, I can't tell you how many times I have been at the end of my rope and I read the Bible every day. Like I even, like I get, I got, I'm kind of proud of myself for my little Bible streaks. Uh, I've missed reading the Bible maybe two or three days in the last three or four years. Okay. I always read my Bible. I read my Bible in a year plan. I read devotionals. It's one of the things I'm proud of about my faith. I read the Bible. Okay. But sometimes I'm doing it because I'm trying, I just want to keep doing it. I know it's a good habit. You don't always feel the right thing. You just do the right thing, right? God knows me so well that over and over, at just the right time, he'll send me the encouragement, the correction, or the direction I need. I remember being discouraged in like 2009. I was serving at a Baptist church that was extremely traditional and it was driving all of my clientele, all my young adults and my young people away. It was driving them all away. And I was trying to tell them, like, just don't do this. You, it doesn't serve any purpose. Just don't do this thing. And my pastor would take it away for one week or two weeks. And then there would be uproar from the people that love it. And it has nothing to do with salvation. Nothing. To, but he would put it right back. And then I would see the people that I led just like trickle away, trickle away. It sat 900 people. We never had more than 150 people in there. Because they just refused. And one day I was just, in my own spirit, I was discouraged. And somebody I don't know was outside when I was outside and just looked at me and said, the ministry that you're waiting for is, is coming to you. Or, you, or something to that nature. Like the ministry you, you, you want, like it's on the way. A couple years later I went to a ministry that... Literally, it was actually not even a couple years, maybe a year, year and a half. I went into a ministry that was reaching the exact people and taught me a lot about reaching the exact people that I was trying to reach. Young adults, young professionals, married, young kids, what teenagers, all of that gave me a chance to work with a bunch of people. It, it changed the game. And God has done that to me over and over and over. And the first time I clearly remember it is December 17, 2001. 30 days before my father died. Um, two weeks before I would see him alive the last time. I'm sitting in my room, and I'm sharing this just because you need to know that the risen Christ, like he will meet you as you're running. I'm, I've come back to the church because I was running away. I, I came back to the church. I started going to church because my life was falling apart. I was had a full-time job. I had my diploma, but my life was falling apart. You understand? You can have all the stuff that the world says makes you successful and your life still be falling apart. You can have the degree. You can have the fame or local notoriety or whatever. You can have the nice car. You can have a nice apartment, a nice house, and your life still be falling apart. Okay? Because of what's going on on the inside. Like, God is not there. You are running away from him. And the, the, the friction between you and him is crushing. It's soul crushing. 
Relationships are drying up. You can't have peace with anybody or even within yourself because you've got all the stuff you wanted, but on the inside, that's where the problem is. On December 17, 2001, I'll share this and then I'll close for real. Um, I'll, and I'll close the broadcast because I'm, what time? Yeah, I'll close the broadcast. Uh, Dominique Hill, one of my frat brothers, uh, calls me. He was in ministry at the time. He gives me a call. I've said this, I've told the story to some of y'all, but he gives me a call and he's just like checking in. I'm like, hey, how's it going, bro? You know, everything's all right, man. And then he's like, hmm, <clears throat> something shifts in the conversation. And this is the first time ever this has ever happened to me. He started telling me that God has called you. I'm like, dude, what? My father was a preacher. I never, ever want to be a preacher. No, he said, yo, God's called you. Uh, and then he started speaking. Like he said, you know, the mantle on your father's life, the mantle, and I don't think I've ever been this detailed, the mantle on your father's life, my father has five sons, I'm the last one, the mantle on your father's life is going to be passed to you. The mantle on your father's life is going to be passed to you. You are going to be a prophet and a pastor. God is saying this, he's saying this. You, you look at the relationship you have with your grandmother, and, and I want y'all to understand that I didn't talk about my family, so nobody knew about the relationship I had with my grandmother. Nobody knew about my father because all they knew about him was he was sick. I didn't talk about my family because it was a sore spot. And so he's spitting facts about my relationship with my father, the mantle on my father. I don't even think they knew my father. He wouldn't have known from me that my father was a preacher because I never talked about my father. Even though I lived with him, I never talked about him. Um, wouldn't have known about my relationship with my grandmother, that I was the last grandchild that actually spent time living with my grandmother. And so there was a special connection there. He wouldn't have known that, but he was speaking on that. God was speaking he was using the word of knowledge, like no, the stuff, hey, yeah, this is you and this is happening in your life. In order to break my walls, and I'm like, okay, something special is happening here. And that's when he revealed, yo, you're, you're calling this prophet, you're calling this pastor. In fact, go to your Bible. You got a Bible? I had not cracked a Bible. I've been going to church. I, had, I told you, I started going back to church. I wasn't going with a Bible. I was just going with myself. They had Bibles in the back of the pew. So if I needed the Bible at church, I just pulled the Bible from the back. They, they had the hymnal. I just pulled the hymnal. I was saying, you know, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Uh, um, I, I had a Bible I was given for graduation at St. Andrew's Christian Church down the street from my house in, in Dudley, North Carolina. I pulled that Bible out. It was still crisp and brand new four years later. He said, turn to Ephesians chapter four. He took me to verses 11 through 13 where it talks about the fivefold ministry and said, and that's where he said, prophet, pastor, that's you. Then he said, go to Isaiah chapter six. And, and he's driving at the time. He's on a cell phone. He's just spitting this stuff. And I'm like going like, I don't know where Isaiah is. Table of content. Eh. Okay. Da, 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 da. So I was talking about this and this. And I need to read this and read this. And I need to read the first six chapters of Jeremiah and the first six chapters of Isaiah. And then, you know, I need to pray. Okay, we get off the phone. I'm in tears. I'm in tears because I didn't know what it was going to look like for me to follow God. And I hadn't anticipated that this is the direction it was taking me. But I was glad to know that I had a purpose. I had a purpose. Like, it wasn't just teach. It wasn't just you know, promote yourself. It wasn't just, you know, be the, the biggest, greatest sigma on the campus or in the community. It wasn't, it wasn't any of that. 
It was, this is who you are in me. And so I say all that to say, like, I had to run from God. I had just started running back with God. And on the way, as I was journeying with God, he stopped me and interrupted me in a moment of my despair and said, no, no, no. This is who you are. This is what I have for you to do. And he has that for every single one of us. He has that for every single one of us. And so what I'm going to pray for right now is, is, is really three things. I'm going to, well, I'm going to pray for us on our race. You, you understand you're running a race? I know you understand you're running a race. Your spiritual sensitivity is off the charts. Um, you're running a race. I'm lying. No, I'm not. Okay. Your spiritual sensitivity. Okay. Rewired. Okay. Um, God has something for every single one of you that is specifically tailored for you, not because of your personality, not because of how wonderful and amazing you are, but because of how wonderful and amazing he is. Because those women that were going there, they were going to him because of how amazing he was. They weren't going to treat his body because they thought some high amazing thing about themselves. And that's where they had supernatural understanding, impact, and encounter. I'm not saying they downed themselves because they didn't. And you need to stop doing that. But what it is, is that it makes you different. It makes you different. Okay? And so imagine if you know anything about first century gender politics. <laughs> the first people to deliver the most important message in humanity's history being women. Delivering the message to men. It was because God has always been interested in going past, around, and straight through what we think is acceptable in our comfort zones to get his work done. To make sure that he is glorified. And so, I want you to keep running. I want you to keep running. See me out. There's a couple of y'all in here like, is he going to say something to me? No. The fact is, the fact that you're waiting for me to say something to you is confirmation that you know God has been speaking to you. And so he's already told you what you need to know. And so you need to stop sitting on it, waiting for somebody else to pump you up and just do it because he's given you the appointment and the anointing to know. He, he'll use me. But right now he's saying, no, 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 you already know. You already know. You already know. Okay? So when it comes so when it comes to us as a group, I got three things I want us to pray for. And then I'll close this out and I thank you all for being in the broadcast. I appreciate y'all. One, this church, we're praying for three things. One, the family. Okay? One. That God will equip us with harvest workers. Our family will be harvest workers um, that will take our place in supporting and executing the launch of this church in the fall. Okay, that's one of the prayers. And so I'm also asking you individually to pray about how God would use you to um, have and how we would have you participate in leading up to the launch and beyond, perhaps. Okay, this, this, the second thing is finance. This renovation is progressive. We've got bathrooms that work. Uh, that's the men's right there. Around the corner is the women's, if you, if you need it after the fact. Uh, it's only half working because there's one restroom. There's going to, uh, excuse me, one toilet in each. There will be two. 
okay? Uh, so progress is happening. And the sink in the ladies' restroom, that's a temporary sink. Y'all don't look at that and be like, this can't be it. No, it's not. It's not. They just want to make sure that was there for today. Um, but more funds are required. I know we've, I talked about us raising a certain amount. More funds are required. That's why I'm asking people to sign up for the fundraiser, the double good popcorn thing, um, and just continue to give and be tithers, and be offers, and give sacrificially. Um, and sign up to participate in that um, after the service. Uh, pray that God reveals just how we can and even how you can help us cross the finish line with the fundraising. We've got a little bit more time now because we're going to start meeting at this level. And so hopefully, like in a couple weeks, you'll see. Maybe, the, well, like I said, we're painting on April 30th. It'll be painting. Maybe the carpet will be down in a month. You know, maybe the back room tile will be down in six weeks. You know, stuff will be changing. You'll see it, and our work will work toward it. And last, faith. That God will unify us in our belief in this church's mission to reach people and raise them up for life in Christ. That God will give us favor here and beyond these walls um, to consistently bear fruit that represents that statement. Reach people, raise them up for life in Christ. Okay? So, there's some of you that want individual prayer. I'm, for that, I'm going to I'm gonna close the broadcast, pray, we'll do communion. You can reach me or... Um, there's some others of you that have an anointing to pray over people, be sensitive and seek those people, seek, uh, meaning those of you that have the anointing to pray over others that are intercessors, seek the people that God is making you sensitive to right now. Go ask them if you can pray for them and then pray for them. Simple as that. Nothing crazy, nothing spooky. You do this in your regular life. When you are walking, let me say this, when you're just chilling in your regular day and somebody comes to mind like, oh, I wonder how they're doing. That is your cue to pray. That's your cue to be an intercessor. So this ain't nothing spooky or scary. This is the Lord's work. So I'm going to pray for all of us, and then uh, we're going to do communion. Um, and then we're going to close out and have grace and some of these refreshments over here. Let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you and praise you for this opportunity we have had to come together. Lord, I, I just can't, I can't put into words how wonderful it is to gather with your people how thankful i am for the prayers that have got us here and the prayers that will take us through i'm so full right now and i just ask you lord to to bless every single person here lord help them see through the fog help them see through the fire Help them see through the fake so that they can understand that you are real, that the risen Christ is real, that you love them, that you care for them, that you have a purpose for their life, that you have a calling on them, that you've equipped them for, that you are that you've connected them with us so that they can be developed in that and that we can all work together, Lord, to edify each other and bless the community that we occupy. I just pray your blessing this day as we celebrate your resurrection. It's because of that that we have victory over death. It's because of that that we have victory in this life. It's because of that, Lord, that even though we have trouble, we can take heart because Christ has overcome it all. And we are new creations in him. In Jesus name, bless us all in person. Bless everyone online. In Christ's name. Amen.